Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, welcoming you to another week of discussion related to ministry leadership and how we can do a better job of accomplishing the tasks God has given us. This week, I'd like to start a three-part series on the podcast related to ministry finance. I get a significant amount of questions about, frankly, money. People in ministry are oftentimes uh, ill-equipped to deal with financial uh, matters. They're struggling with finding funding for their ministries. They wonder about how God is uh, providing or supposed to provide for them. Uh, Lots of puzzling issues that come to me from various sources. And so I'd like to spend uh, three podcasts, actually, on this issue of Foundations for Ministry Finance. Let's start by talking about some general convictions about ministry finance. Some truths to remember include these. Number one, God has ample resources to fund his work. God is not short of cash. He has ample resources to fund his work. And as we'll talk about later, if he's not funding something, then it really raises the question, is that his work or not? So it's a legitimate question we'll address later on. Second, God funds his work primarily through gifts from his people. This raises the whole issue of fundraising or uh, being in some kind of ministry business. And we'll talk about those issues as we move along. But primarily, God funds his work through gifts from his people. Third, God requires financial stewardship by his people. In other words, God expects us to understand money. Uh, to understand how to make it, how to manage it, how to give it, and how to use it. He expects stewardship by his people. And then number four, leaders must model financial stewardship and develop financial stewards. In fact, the balance of this podcast is going to be about modeling, being a model of stewardship as a leader, and then the next podcast is going to focus more on developing stewards in a ministry setting or ministry context. And then last, leaders must ask followers for money and learn to do that appropriately but intentionally. So these are some foundational truths that we're going to unpack through these three podcast episodes, helping us to understand what it means to trust God for the resources and to find in God's economy the resources to get his work done. In contrast to those foundational truths, let me also lay out some lies that Christian leaders believe about money. And I do not use that word lightly. I believe these are lies that we've been told by uh, the devil and our culture and other well-meaning Christians, but nevertheless, they're simply not true. Number one, leaders should not talk about money in church. That's simply a lie. Leaders must talk about money in church. Money and all issues related are at the core of everything that's going on in the lives of people in America today. The greed in the American church is rampant. And for leaders to not address that issue and even beyond that issue, address the full orb of what it means to manage money well and in response to God is unconscionable to me. I'm shocked sometimes when pastors tell me that they will preach strong messages on marriage or morality or gender and take a biblical stand on those issues, but they're afraid to talk about money. That's simply cowardice. 
Second lie, non-Christians are turned off when leaders talk about money. They simply are not turned off by that. I planted a church in Portland, Oregon among a secular community. I talked about money in many, in many uh, instances and in many opportunities. I never, ever had anyone come up to me and say they were offended by the talk we had about money. Now, you have to learn to talk about money in the right way, in the appropriate context. But nevertheless, non-Christians are not turned off when leaders talk about money. In fact, one night in a new member training class in our church plant, we had a business, young businessman uh, there who'd been attending our church for a few months and was now taking another step of actually checking out what it meant to be a member. And after I made the presentation in the new members class about how God financed his work by tithes and offerings of people that supported our church and how every member had a responsibility to participate by giving, after that was over, he came up to me and said, hey, I want to thank you for laying that out about the money. I said, you know, you're welcome. And I was intrigued by the comment because I knew he wasn't yet a Christian, uh, just a person checking out our church. And I said, well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad it was helpful. He said, you know, I've been coming here for months, and I've wondered, where's the money coming from to run this place? I'm a businessman, and I think about those kind of things. And I said, I'm sure you do, and so let me give you even more information. And so I showed him a financial statement and helped him understand the full orb of our church's finances. And quite honestly, the confidence he gained from how we managed money was one of the contributing factors to him trusting us enough to trust the gospel that we shared with him. A third lie that Christian leaders believe about money is that Christians don't have very much money. Now, ministers are famous for projecting their lifestyle and their lifestyle expectations on people around them. And quite frankly, most ministry leaders don't have a lot of money. But that does not mean that Christians don't have resources. In fact, Christians have far more resources than they're typically disclosing or they're typically allowing for other people to know that they have. Christians have ample resources to fund God's work. And then another lie is that Christians don't want to learn about managing their money. They do want to learn how to manage their money because Christians recognize how vital financial issues are to their family's well-being, to their personal well-being. They recognize how much time they spend thinking about money and how much time in their family, that, uh, in their marriage, they may spend arguing about money. They, spend how much, they realize how much time they spend stressing about the future things that are coming their way and whether they'll have the money to pay for them, like college educations or future home purchases or purchases of automobiles or even retirement. So Christians are always thinking about money, and they are very interested in learning how to manage it well. And I think that the rise of Christian money management programs in churches and the popularity of them really underscores the reality that people do want to learn about managing their money. And the last lie that Christian leaders believe is that Christian stewards emerge spontaneously. In other words, people will just automatically learn how to manage their money. Uh, they'll pick it up by reading the Bible or by osmosis or, or by some mysterious spiritual means. And this is just, again, comical to me because Christian leaders don't expect people to learn how to read their Bible that way or pray that way. They don't expect them to learn how to share their faith or become a Bible teacher. They, they recognize that in every other area of Christian discipleship, we understand that we have to teach people so that they can learn how to do what it is we know they need to do as Christians. But on money, uh, we somehow want to exempt that and not teach them and expect them just to emerge spontaneously uh, as Christian stewards. That doesn't happen. People have to be taught the full responsibilities they have as stewards. So 
These are some truths to remember and some lies to overcome as we start down this threefold, uh, tri- these threefold podcasts of discovering uh, spirit or foundations for ministry finance. Now, as I said, in this first podcast, we're focusing on what it means for you to model stewardship as a leader. Now, this is one of the dirty little secrets of ministry leadership, but quite frankly, a lot of ministry leaders are really poor money managers. They're not doing a good job themselves. They don't know how to do a good job. They lack the discipline. They lack the instruction. They lack the modeling. They've never themselves learned how to be good stewards, and so therefore, of course, they can't teach others how to do the same. So the first, or, or, so a first step in you leading uh, others to develop as stewards and you leading your ministry to have God's resources that are required for its, uh, for its future and for its success, a big first step is you modeling stewardship as a leader. So let's talk about what that looks like. First, you must model stewardship with appropriate transparency. Now, some suggestions about how to do that. First of all, share your stewardship development story. Perhaps you were a person that grew up in a very strong church that had a good program of stewardship development, and you learned from an early age in your Christian life about how to make and save and spend and give and how to do that in a balanced way that was really healthy and appropriate. Or maybe you didn't. Perhaps you came to faith in Jesus Christ as an adult, and you were already in financial chaos. You were uh, significantly in debt. You'd made a lot of bad decisions uh, with investments or with other uses of resources. You were paying a lot of sin taxes like gambling or alcohol or smoking, things that were costing you a lot and damaging you and hurting you. Uh, Maybe that's who you were, and by some means, uh, God brought you out of that teaching you about stewardship and developing you as a steward and giving you a new perspective on those, on those issues. Or maybe you're a person who hasn't had either of those experiences. You're a person who uh, came up in a normal kind of environment and you have a manageable amount of debt and you have a, a, a limited understanding of how to save and give, but nevertheless, you're, you're, you're not in a really bad spot. You're, you're kind of doing okay, but you're trying to develop a, a sharper understanding and a, and a more disciplined approach to your stewardship. Well, whatever your story is, share it. Share it. Because the people who are sitting out there watching you and listening to you teach need to hear your transparency on this issue just like they need to hear appropriate transparency when you teach on marriage or when you teach on personal witnessing or when you teach on prayer. They also need to hear with appropriate transparency your stewardship development story. Here's where I was when it comes to financial issues, and here's how I've developed over the years. Now, for my wife and I, uh, it's a it's a good story we like sharing because we came to, fa- uh, we came to, uh, to young ad- through young adulthood in a very strong church that had a very good program of teaching people how to manage their money. And we participated in those classes, and we went for the consultations that they offered, and we laid out a budget, and we mapped out a, long, a lifetime plan. And, and we've been working that plan for 35, 40 years now. And because we had good training early on and we've worked our plan, uh, we've seen God bless us and take care of us financially, and we've seen his principles really do work. And so that's our stewardship development story. But whatever yours is, Share it appropriately. A second way to model transparency is to share your giving decisions on some occasions. Now, in church building programs, for example, uh, almost all consultants will advocate that church leaders share 
their specific gift that they're making to challenge the church to rise up and make similar sacrificial gifts. And so there are times when we are challenged to model financial giving and to share the giving decisions so that people might be motivated by it. You know, I've been doing this at Gateway for a number of years. When I became the president of Gateway Seminary, on uh, the first Monday that I was employed, I took my first check as president uh, to the uh, uh, financial office, and I said, here's my first gift as president. I want it noted that I gave it on my first day as president. And I've been giving every month since then. And I made a commitment, a public commitment, uh, when I was elected president, that I would give 5% of my salary back to the seminary every month. So for now 14 years, I've given 5% right off the top, before the taxes and all the deductions, 5% right off the top, back to the seminary. And in making that gift, I've done that for 14 years, I've modeled what I challenge other people to do, and that is to give sacrificially to the seminary. Now, that 5% is on top of the first 10% of our giving, which always goes to our church, and then the next 5% goes to the seminary, and then beyond that, um, we give to other mission programs and projects and activities and commitments that we've also made over the years. Now, I don't go into all my giving, uh, but I do go into that one part about the seminary because as a, the primary fundraiser for the seminary, I want people to know that I'm committed. I'm giving. Uh, and I want them to know that I'm giving what is for us a significant gift every month and that I've been doing that for a long time. And so when I say that, it's kind of amazing. People look at me differently and they say, wow, if you're doing that, then I know that I can also find a way to give to help the seminary. So share your giving decisions on some occasions. Third, share your stories of God's provision. When you're being transparent about finance, it's not just being transparent about the giving or the saving or the spending or those or, or how to make the money. It's also being transparent about how God has intervened on your behalf over your lifetime to help you financially in ways you could have never helped yourself. We have so many stories about this in our marriage, particularly in our younger years when we were just scrambling to make it week to week on the, min the minimal salaries that we made in our first ministry responsibilities. But one of our favorite stories is what we call the refrigerator story. My wife and I had a small baby, and the, uh, we woke up one morning, and our refrigerator had died. I mean, completely died. Now, I was in the midst of an intense ministry responsibility with a man in our community who was dying. And so I said to my wife, look, just put the baby formula in a cooler, put a few more things in there, put, go buy some ice. And I'll try to find us a refrigerator sometime today or tomorrow. I'll go to like a used, used for, you know, store and maybe I can just find us a cheap refrigerator. I remember saying maybe I can find one for like $25 or $50 because that's about all the money we had. We, we, were, we were really strapped. So my wife put the baby stuff in the cooler and poured some ice in and I went off to take care of my situation with this person who was dying. And I spent a lot of that day with him and, and uh, ultimately he passed away. So the next morning I got up and I said, look, Ann, just put some more ice in the cooler. I've got to spend today getting the funeral organized and, and getting his, his um, family tended to and, and just dealing with all the stuff that goes into all of that because they wanted to have a service very quickly and we're going to have the service on Thursday. And So on Tuesday I spent all day with him dying and on Wednesday I spent most of the day getting ready for the service on Thursday. And so, um, you know, we had the service on Thursday and, and uh, at the service, this man's banker, who was also a member of our church, 
um, who had cared for him and actually been in the hospital with him right up to his time of death and all of that, uh, more than a banker, also a personal friend. He said, hey, listen, can you come by the bank this afternoon? I need to see you. And I thought, oh, man, I, I do not need to come by the bank. I don't need to see anybody. I need to go home and help my wife find a refrigerator. So I went by the bank, and I said, yeah, you know, Ken, what, what can I do for you? He said, well, before uh, my friend died, uh, he, he wrote out three checks to people who had cared for him and ministered to him at the end of his life. And he wrote these out before he passed away, so they're not part of the estate, and I can distribute them immediately. I said, all right. And he handed me an envelope, and he said he wanted you to have this. And I opened up that envelope, and it was a check for $500. And I left the bank, went home, and said to Ann, we need to go find a refrigerator. And we went that day and bought a brand-new refrigerator for $495. Now, we've been telling that story for about 35 years, a story of God's provision in our lives, of a time, I get a little emotional even telling it today, about a time when God stepped into our lives, when we were living on a very, very tight income. But even back then, we were saving some and giving some and spending it as wisely as we could and trusting him for our provision. And God knew all of that, and he also knew that we needed a refrigerator. And he stepped in in a way that I could have never imagined from a source I was not expecting, in a way that could have only been his, his, his grace and provision and gave us the money for her refrigerator. Well, that's the kind of story of God's provision that you want to remember and tell from time to time to encourage people about how God can provide. And then, finally, share your financial planning choices. We have an estate plan in our family, and I'll talk about it more in a few moments, but we've made a plan for how we're going to take care of our plan ourselves until we die, and then after we die, what's going to happen to our estate. And this is another thing you can share with people to help them understand um, what you're doing and what they can do as well. So model with appropriate transparency by sharing your stewardship development story, your giving decisions, the story of God's your stories of God's provision, and some of your financial planning choices. But the modeling continues in some other areas as well. Second, model generosity. There are three ways that I believe leaders should model generosity. First, I believe we should be tithers. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12 is the best-known passage of Scripture in the Bible about tithing. Now, I realize that this is kind of a controversial issue for some people, and they wonder if tithing is still valid today, etc. Well, I believe that the tithe is foundational to giving today, but that in reality we're supposed to go beyond the tithe. Notice what Malachi said in verse, chapter 3, verse 7. Since the days of your fathers you've turned from my statutes, you've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? You're robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing on you without measure. So I believe that the tithe is giving 10% of our income back to God. Now you may say, well, I believe that's Old Testament. I don't think that's New Testament. I think the New Testament teaches grace giving, which means that we give differently than we did in the Old Testament. You know what? I totally agree, as long as we have this consistency. In the Old Testament, the Bible said, don't commit murder. Jesus said in the New Testament, don't even speak evil against your brother. 
In the Old Testament, the, uh, you know, the Bible says, don't commit adultery. But in the New Testament, Jesus said, don't even lust in your heart. In the Old Testament, it was an animal sacrifice for our sins. In the New Testament, it was Jesus. What I'm saying is the Old Testament certainly was based on law, and the New Testament is based on grace. But grace supersedes law. In other words, it always takes it to a higher level. So let's keep that same consistency when we talk about money. I believe the Bible teaches tithing is the foundation of Christian giving, not the end of Christian giving, and not the legalistic goal of Christian giving. I think it's the foundation. And every one of us then has the responsibility and opportunity to go beyond that. The tithe is, the, is God's basic standard of giving. It assures you, as this passage says, of God's provision and God's protection. But the tithe is just the base. Jesus fulfilled the law, not that he set it aside, but that he filled it so full that it was supersaturated and exceeded. And, he and that pattern is all throughout the New Testament, and we ought to apply it also to money. Which leads me to second say that you must also be an offering giver. Now, an offering is any gift beyond the tithe. And why are offerings so important? Because they demonstrate generosity and overcome legalism about the tithe. So while we give a tenth of our income to our church, we give more than that to the seminary and to other causes, and that shatters the legalism of the tithe and takes us into the joy of being offering givers, of giving in the, out of the grace that God has put into our lives and the more that God has blessed us with. And you may say, well, that's easy for you to do because as a you know, seminary president, you have a generous salary. Well, I do, and it is easier for us to do that today. But let me also remind you that I gave this way when I was 23 years old in my first pastorate, making less than $20,000 a year as a full-time pastor. We've always given more than a tithe, ever since we've been married, because we wanted to always be offering givers who gave out of the grace of God in our lives. And then... Uh, you, can, you must also be an alms giver. Now, what are alms, A-L-M-S? Well, these are secret gifts to help people in need. The Bible talks about these as Jesus describes people who simply give out of their, uh, out of their resources to help others, almsgiving. Now, why is almsgiving important? Because it helps to purify motives and personalize giving. Almsgiving is that money you give to a family that needs to buy groceries or the homeless person you see on the street or the friend in your congregation that needs rent money because they've lost their job. It's not money that you give for a tax deduction or to a ministry where you're recognized. It's secret giving that you give just to help people. And almsgiving, as I've said, purifies motives and personalizes giving patterns. So model appropriate giving. Be a tither and an offering giver and an almsgiver. And as a leader, if you do this, you can share that example with people and motivate them to do the same. Well, a third way to model being a steward is to model financial discipline. What does that mean? It means to live on a budget. Now, the B word is hard for so many people to hear, but frankly, it's just a way to make a plan about where you want your money to go. And you say, well, what if we make a budget and we have to change it? Change it. A budget is simply a spending plan. It's an intentional plan that says this is where we want our money to go. We want our money to go for giving. We want our money to go for spending. We want our money to go for saving. And in these categories, this is where we want it to go. And so a budget is not an evil thing or an onerous process. It's just a plan that says here's where we want our money to go. But it's also important when you're budgeting to learn to live on a margin, which means that you budget to spend a little less than you make, and you learn to live on your means. This is so difficult in America today because we're told constantly to live above our means. Last week, I was out of town for two days. 
I came back and got the mail, and I had seven credit card solicitations that had come in the mail in two days. You get these just like I do. Everyone's trying to encourage you to live beyond your means. But Christian leaders must be models of living on a budget that represents living on a margin and living within our means. And frankly, one of the hard things ministry leaders have to accept is we're just going to live on less than other people have. That there are going to be many people in our churches who have the same education we do and the uh, same responsibilities we have who make two, three, five, ten times our salaries because they work in different fields than we do. We have to learn to accept that and simply recognize that we have to live on the means we have, not the means our culture tells us we're supposed to have or above the means that we're never likely to have. And then financial discipline also means that we model living out our priorities. You know, for us, we have priorities about missions giving that includes the seminary and the mission boards of the Southern Baptist Convention and church planting and things like that. You may have other priorities in your giving, but that's why your budget helps you to live out your priorities. Different times in our lives, we've prioritized education of our children over other things. Different times in our lives, we've prioritized uh, purchasing a home or furnishing a home over other things. But priorities, by budgeting your priorities simply means you spend your money where it needs to go and where you want it to go as the particular priority of your life right now. So modeling stewardship means sharing your uh, modeling with appropriate transparency, sharing your stories and your life as you can and as you should, modeling generosity by being a tither, an offering giver, and an almsgiver, modeling financial discipline, meaning that you live on a budget that represents a margin and on your means, and that it expresses your particular priorities. And then finally, model financial planning which means that you as a ministry leader are responsible for your long-term future and the long-term financial stability of your family. And what that means is that you have to save for retirement. You say, well, I don't know how I can ever do that because I just make so little. Well, if you make a little, you're only going to be able to save a little, but you have to save a little bit. Uh, Because a little bit put away for a long time makes a real difference in the end. And so saving for retirement is not trying to amass vast resources so you can live a luxurious lifestyle of of, uh, traveling the world. No, it's saving a little bit so that you can have some when you retire so that you continue your life of service and humility and devotion and really sacrificial living even in those days. Also, financial planning includes protecting your family by making sure that you have appropriate insurance to cover Uh, life and medical and disability issues that might arise, and even some emergency savings to help with those things. Now, once again, ministry leaders have such little discretionary income that it's hard to make sure these things are a part of who we are and what we're doing. But understand that protecting yourself and, more importantly, protecting your family is part of your responsibility as a leader. And so find a way, even if it's in a small way, to take advantage of these things and to make sure you have these things in place uh, in your life. And then finally, financial planning includes having an estate plan, which, in me, which means that you have a will which explains what will happen to your estate after, you've, after you and your spouse have died. Now, you may be thinking, well, I just don't have very much. I don't need to worry about that. You might be surprised. Uh, if you ever are able to own a home or perhaps if you have an inheritance that comes to you that you're not expecting, you may wind up at a, some point in your life with more resources than you anticipate. It's important to make your plan before you have those resources, not after, so that you make a plan based on principle, not just on the pressure of what's come to you. The other thing it's important to remember is if you have children, especially minor children, your estate plan is the way that you dictate what will happen to your children after you die. You may not know this, 
But if you have small children and you die without a will, a judge in the state where you live will decide who raises your children. And you may say, well, they would just give them to my parents or to my brother or to my sister. You cannot be assured of that. Do you want secular courts today to decide who raises your children? Well, if you don't have a will, they get to decide. And so even if you're a young couple with virtually no resources, if you have children, it's vital that you have an estate plan, a will that specifies what happens to your children if anything were to happen to you. Now, in most states, there's a Baptist foundation that can help you do this. And in most states, ministry leaders get this done either for free or at a very nominal cost. So there's no financial reason you can't go to your state Baptist foundation and ask them to help you to develop a will that tells, helps, that tells where your children will go if anything tragically were to happen to you and your spouse. So the first step in building uh, an understanding of ministry finance and in helping your organization to understand uh, how it's supposed to work with its resources is for you to be a model. You have to model stewardship. You have to model stewardship by uh, sharing your, with appropriate transparency your, your stewardship story, by modeling generosity as a tither, an offering giver, and an alms giver, by modeling financial discipline, by living on a budget that reflects margin and is on your means and has your priorities involved in creating it, and then by modeling financial planning, by planning for the long haul of retirement and life care, and particularly the care of your children when you're gone. Now, you may say, man, that's a lot. Do I have to have all that in place before I can be a ministry leader? No. But these are things that as you're beginning in ministry leadership or as you're moving through the early years, you've got to get in shape. Because honestly, if you want significant responsibility over significant resources, God will not allow you to have that unless you put these things in place. He trusts people who've demonstrated personally their understanding of stewardship and their life as stewards, he trusts them with the resources that, is, that, are, that are needed to expand his kingdom in significant ways. So I challenge you today, step one in really understanding ministry finance and leading your organization to be wise in how it handles its money and in how it uh, responds to money is for you to be a model. And so modeling stewardship is a big part of being a ministry leadership, being a ministry leader. And I challenge you to do that today and to keep this at the forefront of your responsibilities as you lead on.